morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, worship team, i got to be honest with you. Uh, that song, if I'm ever going to speak again, the last one, it's off limits, because I can't be sobbing over there, and then I have to come and speak, so we'll, have, we'll, talk, we'll take it offline. We'll talk about it later, but here's the deal. I'm realizing I'm five minutes away from standing up here, and I have just tears out of my right and left eye. This is not a good look. We can't, we can't just keep going on like this. Well, hey, it's really good to be with all of you. My name's Nate. I am the intern of student ministries here at Trinity Baptist Church, and if, uh, if you're a guest or if this is your first time, I want to say especially thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, for me, I like to worship by myself in my car, but also on Sunday mornings, it's a privilege to worship with a group of people, the one who has saved us all, as we just sang about. Um, I want to start off by just saying that my hope for you this summer, I hope it's been a good one. I hope it's gotten off to a good start. I know mine has. I know that this March, uh, my wife and I, Kenley, we found out that we're going to be having a little baby in November. And uh, yeah, thanks. We're so excited. And uh, to be honest, we're even, I'm even more excited. I know she is too, but we found out last Tuesday that we're going to have a little baby boy. And so uh, that has definitely brought on some excitement in our lives, some definite uh, fear, if you will. I think it's a healthy fear. I'm not really sure yet. I'm figuring it all out. Um, But as you can imagine, this new season of life, uh, it's one that has caused me to be very self-reflective. I'm looking at a season that is about to radically look different than what the first 21 years of my life have looked like. Uh, My schedule is about to get way more busy. My responsibilities are about to increase, and my sleep is about to decrease. And if you ask my wife, that is not a good combo for me. There's like, if the distance here gets bigger, the crankiness factor in my life goes up. And so we're going to have to start the the journey with Jesus a lot faster. Uh, But that's just me. And all the while, I'm still called to follow God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. But I'm supposed to do that in a world that's becoming distracted and overworked into oblivion. So how do I do that? And it's been because of those thoughts that I've been praying for myself, but I've also been praying for you that this summer has become and will continue to be a summer of real rest. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, Nate, you don't know my schedule. You don't understand the fact that I wake up and I go to bed and I'm not even sure what happened in between because it was so crazy. And to be honest with you, I live also a pretty crazy life too, and so I feel like we're in the same boat. And as life has moved faster and faster, I've started to ponder the question, how do I slow down with God, even in the chaos of life? And it's been Jesus' words in Matthew 11, where he tells his disciples this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And if for a moment, can we just breathe that in? The fact that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And easily the best quote I've ever heard on this verse comes from Frederick Dale Bruner. And Bruner, he captures the essence of this verse so well, he writes this, he says, A yoke is a work instrument, and thus when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. Jesus offers equipment. 
Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, if you will, will develop us, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. And I absolutely love that because sometimes my definition of rest is hiding, is escaping. But for God, it's more about more of Him and more of His presence in my life and how He's changing me. It's about a new way of carrying life. That's how you take a real rest. So my hope and prayer for all of you this morning is that this has been and will continue to be a summer of just that, of real rest. One that is rooted in the abundance of the presence of God. And to be honest with you, that's just my intro. I wasn't even planning on talking about that for the rest of the morning, and I'm not. We're going to talk about something different, but it's been something important on my heart, and I hope it means something to you. But for the rest of the morning, we're going to be going into another installment into our summer series that we're calling Storyteller. And in this series, we've been looking at and teaching through the parables of Jesus in the Gospels. For me personally, the direct words of Jesus have been incredibly refreshing. I was talking to Chris and Thad the other day, and we were talking to ourselves, and we are like, man, Jesus... He is the real deal. He is for real. Like, he does not mince words, and he's blunt, and he's honest. And sometimes, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, that's sometimes hard to read. And each time I read these parables, I'm just reminded of the fact that Jesus truly was and is the master teacher. And he was constantly talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like, and about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And in most cases, when Jesus was describing the kingdom of heaven or what it was like, he, he would take all of our assumptions and our presumptions and they, we would just be hanging out over here. And we would say, well, I think I've got this life thing figured out and I'm going to hang out over here and these are my assumptions. And then Jesus would come and he, very lovingly and very gracefully, he would say, here's the deal. I know you have those, but they're wrong. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is actually like. And we would say, man, Jesus, that's hard. And he would say, I know. But it's what the kingdom of heaven is like. He would flip things upside down and he would describe something extremely radical he truly was the master teacher. And if you're anything like me, I don't want to waste any more time this morning uh, listening to my voice. I want to listen to the master teacher himself. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 18, if you will. And I want to encourage you to really, um, you can look at the screen, if you have digital or, or physical, take a look at Matthew 18, because uh, the, the passage we're going to read is a little bit longer, and if you have it, it'll be easier to uh, to keep along. We're going to start in verse 21, and we find Jesus with his disciples, and they're journeying between cities towards the end of Jesus' three years of ministry. And as they're going, Peter, one of the disciples, he, he has a question for Jesus, because Jesus has had just said something pretty interesting. And so Peter, he, he's, he's kind of inquisitive, he says, I got a question. And so we find him in verse 21, he says this, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, no, 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 no. I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And then Jesus breaks into his parable. He says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Now, in the bottom of my Bible, it says that 10,000 talents is about 20 years' wages for one person. 20 years. This man was in trouble. He owed a lot of money to this master. And this is bad news bears for this guy. 
But he continues, and, and since he could not pay, and obviously if you're a disciple, you're listening to Jesus, Jesus says he could not pay, and you're like, yeah, duh. He owes a lot of money. No way. No way he could pay. And you're expecting something to happen. Your presumptions are, are over here. Your assumptions about this man who owes a lot of money, they're over here. You have this idea about, hey, he owes a lot of money. This other thing should happen to him. But Jesus, he tells a different story. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have mercy on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. And if you're a disciple, you're already like, no way. No way, Jesus. That's not fair. He owed him a lot of money. No way. But this story's not over. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And at the bottom of my Bible, it says a hundred denarii was just a day's wages. He was just behind a day. And seizing him, the first servant, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. You owe me. You have a debt and it's mine and you owe it to me. But his fellow servant fell, on the, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. Yikes. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. And then Jesus, the master teacher, finishes his story with this. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Unlike a lot of the parables, we don't have to guess what the story's about. We don't have to do a lot of digging to figure out that Jesus is talking about forgiveness. And maybe at first glance, this morning should just go really fast. Maybe I should just say, hey, Jesus said forgive, so maybe we should just all get up, walk out those doors, and just forgive, right? I mean, Jesus makes it sound easy. We should just, we should just go. And when someone hurts us tomorrow, we should just forgive. But we know that's not true. You see, you and I both know that it isn't like that. And before we go any further, can we just spend a second to name the fact that everyone in this room is carrying some sort of emotional baggage when it comes to forgiveness? And for some reason, forgiveness is this complicated thing. Or at least we make it very complicated. For some, forgiveness comes easy, and for others, it's more difficult But that's just it, right? If every single one of us has a certain personal experience with forgiveness, what does that imply? It implies that you've been hurt. It implies that I've been hurt. It implies that every single one of us has been hurt by someone or has been the person who, wait for it, has hurt someone else. And as I was preparing this message, I bought a book 
which is always the greatest excuse, by the way, to buy a book, right? Like, you know, Kenlin comes to me, hey, you spent $10 on Amazon. It was a book for a sermon, you know? It's off limits. I did it, you know? You can't say it was a bad purchase. I did it. Uh, But anyways, it's, it's called The Art of Forgiving by Lewis Meads. And this is the very first paragraph in the introduction. And it just made me chuckle because it's the reality of life. He says this, One of God's better jokes on us was to give us the power to remember the past and leave us no power to undo it. We all have sometimes been willing to trade almost anything for a magic sponge just to wipe off a few moments off the tables of time. But whatever the mind can make of the future, it cannot silence a syllable of the past. There's no delete key for reality. It would give us some comfort if we could only forget a past that we cannot change. But the ability to remember becomes an inability to forget when our memory is clogged. When our memory is clogged with pain inflicted by people who did us wrong. If we could only choose to forget the cruelest moments, we could, as time goes on, free ourselves from their pain. But the wrong sticks like a nettle in our memory. It was a good book. It was a really good book. (laughs) And I know it's no fun to think about this, but if we could just be real for a second, we've all been let down. We've all been slighted. We've all been betrayed. We've all been left behind. We've all been slandered. We've all been forgotten about, used, lied about. And in the worst cases, some of us have been abused. We've been hurt by people we don't know. We've been hurt by people we do know. We've been hurt by people we deeply love, family and friends and spouses. We've been hurt by people who did it on purpose. And we've also been hurt by people who, it was an accident, but it still hurt. And some people haven't apologized. And some people have, but you know they didn't mean it. Or maybe someone did apologize, but what they did was too serious in that moment for you to be able to forgive them. And this morning, I'm not asking you to tell me all your hurts, and I'm not asking you to share them with your neighbor either. I think you should do that over a cup of coffee instead. But I'm also asking you for for the next 20 minutes, just don't repress those memories. And that's hard, and I know it's a big ask, but it's important. But instead, to yourself, name the fact that just because you are a human with a soul that lives in a broken world, the reality is that that you've been hurt and I've been hurt. But just because we've been hurt or because forgiveness is this complicated and difficult thing, it doesn't change what Jesus said. And there's a reason for that. So no, forgiveness isn't easy. But apparently, according to Jesus, forgiveness is essential. So I think the best way to enter this conversation, and I was preparing, if you would, would you just pray with me for a moment and kneel before God with these hurts? Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we give this morning to you. And God, when it comes to hurts we have in our lives today, we name those hurts And we lay them at your feet and say, God, what would you have me do with this? How do I proceed? How do I navigate this? 
And Father, as an entire church body, we recognize that relational hurt isn't exempt from the church. In fact, God, you, you knew it would be messy. That's why you prayed for us in the garden. So Father, show us your kingdom vision of what forgiveness looks like this morning as we walk through your words of truth. Amen. Amen. So this morning, forgiveness isn't easy, but it is essential. And I think in order for us to finish this conversation, there's one really important thing that I think will help us frame our conversation this morning, and it's this. Forgiveness and reconciliation aren't the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they're, they're, they're different. Both of them have a, have a place, but they serve two different purposes. Reconciliation happens when you have the opportunity to go to the person who hurt you and, and say, hey, that hurt. <laughs> Those words hurt. Those actions hurt. And even better, in the best moments of reconciliation, what happens is you're heard. You're hurt, but then you're heard. And someone says, I hear you, and I am sorry, deeply sorry. And one of, the, one of the things that marks reconciliation that's even more beautiful is this. It's marked by character and behavior change within the context of the relationship. So not only is the person sorry for what they did, but there is also evidence of a changed life. In fact, if you look at the passage right before the one we just read in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us just a really quick roadmap for how to go about reconciliation. He says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I wish we had way more time this morning because there is something to be said about reconciliation. There really is. It's, it's hard and it's beautiful and it's definitely worth it. And I gotta be honest, as I was talking to Pastor Thad this week, we were talking about, yes, forgiveness and reconciliation are different, but within the context of the church, my belief is that it's God's biggest desire to see reconciliation happen more so than forgiveness. And I hope we have time in the future to talk about that. This is the process of reconciliation, and I believe it's God's hope. But here's the deal. Jesus knew that there will be situations on this side of heaven where reconciliation won't always be possible. And that's a really hard truth. What if you go to the person who hurts you and they aren't sorry? What if you go to the person who hurts you and they just feel like you don't have anything to be mad or sad about. What they did wasn't wrong. They, you shouldn't be hurt by that. What if they are no longer alive and you never got to talk to them about the hurt they caused you? What if the hurt wasn't directly intended for you? I gotta be honest, I'm dreading the day when someone hurts my son. <laughs> what am I gonna do, right? They, the hurt wasn't at me. But someone hurt him. He's going to be on the re- it's going to be at recess or on the playground, and it's going to be like someone stuck out his foot and tripped him, and it's, he's going to come home in tears. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, but the hurt wasn't for me. But that kid who man, oh man, that kid who tripped my kid, whew, he's going to be getting some good prayer. You know, if I, you know what I'm saying? 
What if you go to the person, but you get the sense that the apology didn't come from a place of sincerity? And then there's the reality that there are some situations where it isn't even safe for you to be alone in the room with the person who hurt you, and that's real. On this side of heaven, sometimes reconciliation isn't always possible. But Jesus still calls us to forgive. So all of this begs the question, if reconciliation and forgiveness are different, and we're talking about forgiveness today, then it begs the question, what is forgiveness and how how do we do it? Well, I still think there are a lot of misunderstandings about what forgiveness is. And I think a lot of those misunderstandings make it really hard to buy into the whole forgiveness thing. I think we hear a lot of, a lot of misunderstandings and we think, that's eh, a little too hard for me. No, thank you. And if we could just spend a little bit of time this morning, I've got a couple things that forgiveness doesn't entail that I think will help us get closer to what forgiveness is. The first thing is this. And it came from the book that, that I read about this from Lewis Meads. He says this, forgiveness does not mean tolerating. Sometimes it's just easier to tolerate the hurts, right? If it wasn't that big a deal, you're still hurt about it, but who has enough time to actually go to someone and say, that hurt me? I got things to do in the day. And so if the hurt wasn't that bad, you know what I'm going to do? I'm probably just going to just repress it and say, hey, if I don't think about it, that's just as good as forgiving, right? If I can just forget about it, that's, that's forgiving. Or to be honest, I think sometimes it's just thought of as weak to show emotion. So we just repress and hide them. But true forgiveness, true forgiveness starts with the reality of the situation. Take the master and the servant, for example. The master didn't glance over the fact that that servant owed him a lot of money. A lot of money. And the master, he was serious about this. I mean, there were consequences for being that far behind in debt. That was the reality of the situation. And to be honest, maybe your friend lied to you. And that's the reality of the situation. Maybe you were hurt by your parents. And that's the reality of the situation. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful to you, and that's the reality of the situation. That your coworker backstabbed you, that's the reality of the situation. Forgiveness isn't tolerating an action that was done to you. In fact, to truly start the process of forgiveness, you have to start by what we did this morning. You've got to name it. And specifically name what the hurt is. Because then you'll know what you're forgiving. Then you'll know what you're releasing. If we just forgive to forgive, and I think sometimes we forgive too quickly, sometimes we're just forgiving very willy-nilly. But hurts are real, and actions are real. And they affect us, and we have souls and emotions. So if that's the case, then we have to say that hurt, and that specifically hurt, and that's what I'm releasing. That's what I'm forgiving. It's this, true forgiveness is being honest. The second thing is this, this one is really important for me personally. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. That really old cliche, forgive and forget, um, it just doesn't make any sense. Our memories are so complex, and oftentimes we have the ability to take ourselves back to a moment and hear the hurt and feel the wound. 
And we could just replay it over and over and over again. I mean, whoever came up with forgive and forget, didn't they run across a moment where all of a sudden they saw the person that hurt them and remember exactly what they did to them? It's just, it's incredible to me that we somehow think, we just throw it around, just forgive and forget. Hey, hey, forgive and forget. To be honest, I still remember getting swatted in seventh grade basketball from the three-point line. And no, that wasn't a sin. But that was as close as I think you could get to sin without sinning, because that hurt my soul. And I didn't play basketball ever again. (laughs) I can remember his face. He was way taller, and he hit the ball three bleachers up into the stands. It wasn't a fun moment for me. But that's my really silly example for the simple fact that forgiving isn't a one-time thing. It's an everyday choice we make. And to be honest, I would have paid really, really, really good money to see Peter's face when he asked Jesus about how many times he should forgive somebody. I would have paid money to be there and to hear Jesus say, hey, here's the deal, Peter. I know you're trying really hard and I know you're trying to maybe impress the other disciples with kind of a high number of seven, but here's the deal. You don't get it. Not seven times you need to forgive somebody. Seventy-seven times. You need to forgive somebody. And here's the deal. We know this. Jesus isn't making forgiveness a math problem. It's not like you get to 74. Okay, I forgave you 75. I forgive you 76. 77, I forgive you. Oh, here's the deal. That's the last one. I can't forgive you. No thanks. I did. I got to 77. It's a math problem. I counted. I promise. I got a little chart on my wall. No, Jesus isn't making forgiveness a math problem. Jesus is just getting at the reality of the fact that here's the deal. You're going to wake up every single day, and maybe you're busy that day and you don't remember it, but maybe you do wake up a day and you say to yourself, hey, that memory, that action hurt, and that was for real. And I still need to release that because God calls me to. Jesus is making forgiving a daily thing. This is especially true when the hurt comes from someone close, someone you have to see every single day. What if it's your spouse or your friends? What if it's someone at church? You're going to see them next Sunday. You're going to see them in the middle of the week. And they can't take back what they said. They can't take back what they did. That's the past. It happened. But you're still called to forgive, and I'm still called to forgive. And so Jesus knows that it's a daily thing. Forgiving isn't about forgetting. Instead, forgiving, forgiving is about choosing. Forgiving is, is something you choose to do over and over again, to release the person of their debt. So no, you can't forgive and forget, but forgiveness is consistent. The next thing forgiveness isn't is, forgiveness doesn't extinguish consequences. I think one of our biggest fears when it comes to forgiving is that if we forgive somebody then what they did won't be punished. And we have this, this human error inside of us that says, hey, if you hurt me, then all of a sudden I'm going to white-knuckle the control of your punishment. I'm going to white-knuckle it and say, here's the deal, you hurt me, and now I have 100% control over this situation now. But that's not really what Jesus calls us to It reminds me of when two little kids are roughhousing a little bit and then one kid kind of gets a little angsty and he he swings a little bit and he catches his little brother and all of a sudden his little brother's in just mega tears, right? This is bad news. And the kid who punched him, what does he do? He goes into panic mode 
And what does he start saying? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. Because what's, tra- what's he trying to do? He's trying to smooth this over before mom and dad get there. <laughs> He's trying to think, here's the deal. If, if you just forgive me, then I can move away from these consequences because I don't want them. Because it's going to be a timeout or a grounding for a couple of weeks. But forgiving doesn't extinguish consequences. Forgiveness is recognizing that you aren't the one who decides the consequence. And in Jesus' story, was the first servant excused from his actions towards the second servant? No. What he did was wrong and hurtful. Forgiveness doesn't extinguish consequences. It's just a realization that the consequences aren't within our control. Because if we forgive, we've released that control. And we've put it in the one who deserves control. God. In Exodus 34, God details, or there's a moment between God and Moses. And God is passing by Moses and he, he says these words to reveal a little bit of his nature. He says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation. You see, here's the deal. I don't, if I really think about it, I don't even want the control over the consequences because I know that, that my... My natural bend is to mess up. <laughs> and my natural bend is probably to dish out a wrong consequence, one that isn't fair, one that isn't just, one that isn't righteous. And so Jesus is calling all of us to forgive and within forgiveness release the control of the consequence. It doesn't take away the fact that they did something to hurt you. It doesn't take away the fact that they said something that hurt you. It's just recognizing that I don't have the capacity to make the right decision. The fourth, thing is that the fourth thing is this. Forgiving isn't an invitation to be hurt over and over again. I think we get a lot of this from, from the misreading of, of Jesus' line about 77. We get it in our minds that if we forgive and forgive and forgive, what are we going to become? We're just going to become a doormat. And someone's just going to walk over us again and walk on over us again and walk on over us again. We think, Jesus, no way, I can't forgive 77 times. If I forgive 77 times, I'm just getting taken advantage of at that point. No way. That can't be fair. Jesus isn't asking you to be a doormat, though. He isn't asking you to continually get walked on and hurt repeatedly. In fact, to be honest, and this is a moment of seriousness, if, if you or if one of your friends is in a situation where they're being physically harmed or mentally harmed, their first priority is to get safe. Their first priority is to be safe. And then what? And then they can start the process of forgiveness and the journey of forgiveness. Because like we said, forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. It's consistent. So while we are called to forgive, we're also called to be wise about how we proceed in relationships. Forgiveness is honest. Forgiveness is consistent. And forgiveness is fair 
when we release the fact and the control of the consequences do. So no, forgiveness isn't easy. But it is essential. And when Chris first asked me to preach this summer, or if I wanted to, he told me they were, they were preaching through the parables, and that I should spend some time reading and praying through them to see if any of them have caught my attention. And I was reading through them, and I, and I came across this one, and it was the final line of the story that gave me just incredible pause. The first servant had just been thrown into prison for the way that he treated the fellow servant. And in verse 35, Jesus does not mince words. He says this, So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Jesus, really? I'm going to be thrown in prison? For this whole forgiveness thing? No way. It can't be that serious. No. It can't really be that big of a deal, Jesus. No way. And honestly, I can't even imagine the silence that was in the group of disciples when Jesus broke the news of of his new reality of forgiveness in the kingdom. I can't imagine what it was like for them to stand there and look at the horizon and think, here's the deal, I was living my life this way, and now Jesus is calling me to this. That's different. And it's kind of a lot, and it's kind of hard. And so often for myself, I just, I read that and I move way too quickly to the next verse. To the next verse. I say, here's the deal. I, really good thought. I'm going to move on to the next one, you know. But this time, and this was, it was weird. This time I couldn't look away from it. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it because I couldn't stop thinking in my head, no way it's that big a deal. Like that is, we've got to take Jesus at his words. He means this. It's important. Jesus is serious, and forgiveness is God's design in a broken world. I think about it this way. Forgiveness is the oxygen of the kingdom of God. So just like you and I need air to breathe and live and strive, so does the kingdom of God need forgiveness. It needs forgiveness that is honest. It needs forgiveness that is consistent, and it needs forgiveness that is fair. And it needs all of us to recognize that it's not easy, but it is essential. Lewis Smead's, the the book I read, he ends his book with with this. He says, here's the deal. When we forgive, we bring light where there was darkness. We summon positives to replace negatives. We open the door to an unseen future that our painful past had shut. When we forgive, we take God's hand. And we walk through the door and stroll into the possibilities that wait for us to make them real. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it is essential. And one cliche that I do subscribe to is this. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Amen? We forgive because there has been a great precedent set before us in Jesus. A man who made his body and death an atonement for you and for me, and in the midst of it all said, Father, please forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. A man who had nails in his feet and his hands and was, <laughs> was able to muster up was able to muster up the gumption to forgive a world. But Jesus, Jesus wasn't surprised by this. In fact, he, he already knew he was going to die for the sins of the world. And he talked about it on the night before he died with all the disciples around a table. And Paul later on in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, he writes this. Next slide. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're called to do today. We're called to remember. And not just for the sake of remembering. We're called to remember so that it changes our heart posture towards God and towards other people. That says, hey, here's the deal. You hurt me, and what you said hurt me, and that action hurt me. But I've been forgiven, and you've been forgiven. And so we're called to forgive. And in just a moment, Paul is going to come on up, and he's going to sing for us a song. And while he's singing that song, We're going to take communion, and we're going to spend time remembering the single greatest act done for humanity. And it was for you, and it was for me, and it was for the sake of the kingdom. That we would be a church filled with the DNA of forgiveness, and the reality of the situation, the people get hurt, and we can't avoid that, but we're going to run after forgiveness as hard and as fast as we can. And no, it's not easy. But yes, it's essential. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so humbled to be in your house this morning. God, I'm just so grateful for the life-changing power of your word. Thank you for setting an incredible precedent of forgiveness, God. And and this morning we recognize that no, forgiveness isn't easy, God. It's really hard sometimes. 
But God, help us just be a people who recognize that for the sake of the kingdom, forgiveness is essential. God, we need everything that you have. We need you to be our provider because forgiveness is hard. We need your strength. We need your guidance. And we need your wisdom and all of it. Thank you for your son, Jesus. May we remember him well in what he's done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.